everyone, and welcome to Employee, your podcast for rethinking employment. My name is Christina Walker-Meyer, and I'm your host for this podcast. And today I'm actually very excited because I'm in London and it's our very first episode recorded daily in London with a very nice view uh, over the skyscrapers. And today we have Wolfgang Wopperer-Beholz here with us today. Wolfgang is a strategic facilitator, author and coach, which helps companies to deal with complexity and change. Thank you for joining today's session, Wolfgang. So are you ready? Yes, I am. So before we jump right into the topic, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? So who are you? What are your passions? What are your dreams? Tell us a bit about yourself. Yes, of course. I always say I'm a philosopher by training and a facilitator by trade. And that might give you an idea of what um, gets me going, what interests me. On the one hand, it's basically understanding things, understanding complex systems, understanding how the world works. And on the other hand, it's helping people, helping teams, organizations, basically to do the same, to understand things, to understand the context, and to develop the ability to act autonomously and to act with purpose and to define what they want to do and how they want to work. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. You're also working as a strategic facilitator here in London, but before you have actually worked in Germany, in Hamburg, founded your own company. Can you tell us a little bit, um, yeah, your story? Yeah, my story started a while ago. I originally studied philosophy and political sciences at university, and I did that for quite a long time. I originally intended to go into academia, but then along came the internet, and with that, the opportunity to co-found my first company, which I did in 2002. Um, the company still exists in Hamburg and thrives. It's called Mind Matters, and it's a small software and product development studio. And with that company, we not only practiced stuff like agile development very early on, something like 20 years ago, when nobody really knew what it was and felt it sounded quite strange to work in such a way. Um, but also, we worked a lot with freelancers, we collaborated with a lot of different partners on development projects, and so naturally the question arose, how do you structure this kind of work more effectively, and how can you create more space for collaboration and how can you create opportunities for collaboration across boundaries of organizations how can we create more room for freelancers to work on their own and started exploring these ideas how do you do this how do you create these spaces and then i went to a conference in berlin i think it was the republica and talked to someone about it and as it is with people from berlin he knew much better um, then I did what I was talking about and said, that's called co-working. And so I was, okay, co-working, that's a thing. And then we started exploring all these topics under the heading of, of co-working and started talking to people like uh, Christoph and Madeleine from Beta House Berlin and uh, ended up co-founding Beta House Hamburg in 2010 and uh, developed Hamburg's first co-working space together with them. In 2010, it was the first co-working space in Hamburg. Yeah. Interesting. It seems like ages ago. Yeah. And it was, um, it was quite challenging. Hamburg is not as fast-moving as, for example, Berlin. And the first um, property we had proved to be too small. 
So we went into bankruptcy. Oh, really? And had to recover from that. Had a really, really strong community who just didn't want to give up on us and had a lot of support from the city and so moved um, into a larger property, remodeled, I would, I would even say redefined our business model in certain ways and suddenly things fell into place and by now Beta House Hamburg is thriving, has a really strong and, and large community. And in all of that I gradually discovered that working only on product development, working only on specific projects um, is not the context where I can create the most value and so I gradually moved out of these contexts and started to work with organizations on, on larger issues and on topics um, above and beyond product development and uh, gradually extricated myself from the daily business of the company and so last year in 2018 I sold my stake in the company and now I'm a free radical again and um, yeah I can explore stuff that's beyond what I was able to explore inside the company. So what is the focus of your of your current work now? So can you just give us some examples of of what you're doing at the moment? That yeah, you say sure. that you work on larger in larger problems. What are those problems? For example, I work um, with let's call it um, a German press agency um, on issues from product development to how that fits into the larger strategic context. And what I do is help them in on different levels from um, the project teams that are working on, on smaller scale products to really um, top management level leadership circles on shaping a shared picture of how they can translate their purpose and their mission into um, a product and, and organization development strategy mm -hmm. and in the end in such a context product development is a means to do organization development really and mm -hmm. this is a really interesting thing to do because if you do that you use products as a like a point of crystallization and as a catalyst for much larger changes and at the same time, by always bringing back these larger issues into something very concrete, something very specific, people can collaborate on and are collaborating on, you, you have real leverage for, for changing very concrete day-to-day -day work routines, um, incentive systems, the way people think about their work. Mm -hmm. So that's really interesting. Apart from that, I do a lot of... Um, coaching and training in methods like um, agile development, design thinking, um, lean startup, stuff like that. Great, very inspiring. Um, so your journey um, covers a lot of those topics of new ways of working or rethinking work in general. As you said, uh, what, you, what you guys did in your former companies or more or less were also some pioneers in that area or even building a freelancing community, which is I think also a, a new way of working. Um, so these are basically the topics that we would like to discuss in this episode and that's why I would like to give you a very big one at the start. You just said you like to break the big ones down. How do you see work in companies today and why do you believe are we working in certain ways? For me, work on the one hand from the perspective of the organization, from the perspective of the company is basically a resource. It's a resource like capital. Um, technology, innovation, 
and from the organization's perspective it's all about how can you organize work in a way that fits into the larger mission and that contributes to the company's success. On the other hand, seen from the perspective of the worker, of the employee, of the freelancer, work is part of their personal identity and is part of what makes their life meaningful. And I think one of the basic challenges is how to align those two perspectives without one like overshadowing the other. And if, if you ask how and why a company is structuring the work um, the, the employees are doing the way they do, it's because these structures and incentive systems proved successful in the past. So it's basically an evolved mechanism to structure work as a resource in a way that contributes to the company's success. And the really interesting part begins when the environment the company operates in changes in a way so that this evolved structure and these evolved incentive systems aren't adaptive anymore. Mm -hmm. So what worked in the past, what contributed to success in the past, suddenly doesn't anymore. And companies are on average not really good at understanding how fundamental this change can be and how fundamental the maladaptiveness and the misfit between how they are structuring work right now and what their environment would, um, what they would need to be successful in a changed environment, how, how big of a change that really is. Mm -hmm. And what are the biggest changes that you see there? Of the environment? I think on a very obvious level it's um, the, the digitization of everything because this changes not only how specific products work or how specific features are implemented but how business models work and which types of business models are feasible um, under these um, as I would call it, or I'm not the inventor of this concept, it's a um, Venezuelan economist, uh, Carlota Perez. Um, she calls it techno-economic paradigms. And we are working under a paradigm which started its evolution somewhere in the 70s and then worked its way through an exploration period until the dot-com bubble and now we're in what she calls the installation period where uh, it's pretty much settled which business models work under this paradigm and it's basically the business models of aggregators like Google and Facebook um, and Amazon and I think this paradigm has shifted which business models are attractive to investors, which business models are feasible in terms of profit margins, in terms of uh, market and, and reach. And a lot of companies that evolved during an older economic or techno-economic model um, have a really fundamental challenge in front of them um, to adjust to this fundamental shift in, in like the very basics, the very fundamentals of how business is done. So I think on one level this um, disruption, not in markets, not 
not like the, the disruption concept of, of Clayton Christensen, but off markets where really the, the fundamentals, how markets work change. This is one of the, the biggest challenges companies face right now. And on the other hand, we, I think, are gradually understanding that there's an even bigger disruption happening, and that's the disruption of our ecosystem. Um, that's the disruption of the very basic, um, the planet we are depending on. And I think this will be the challenge that we have to deal with and that we will be talking about in the next 10 to 15 years. And this will be an even bigger challenge for companies to address because it doesn't only change how business models work, but also um, how our basic understanding of the economy is working or isn't anymore. Mm -hmm. So what? how do you believe can work then look differently as we know it today if we incorporate um, all those changes that you just talked about? So what would that mean for work or how, how would that, that work look differently? I think if, if you look at it from these two perspectives, again, work as, as a resource and work as part of personal identity, um, from the first perspective, work has to be organized in a way that fits the new paradigm. So on the one hand, you need more space for exploration, more space for adaptation to this new paradigm. That means creativity, flexibility. Um, and failure as well, right? Yeah, failure as well. Uh, what I like to call experimentality. So a mindset that doesn't punish people for um, making mistakes, but that creates room to learn from these mistakes and to go forward from there. Um, and on the other hand, if you look at work from the, from the other perspective, if, if you look at work as part of personal identity, you have to create room for people to redefine what they want to do and to redefine their roles in their working environment and to give them an opportunity to adapt themselves and possibly find another place in this new setting and this also means a certain responsibility for society to create that room. Mm -hmm. How do you believe then can companies define work differently or let's say also create a different kind of work environment that we um, know today? You already mentioned uh, to be more experiment uh, experimental or um, accept failures but would, what would that also mean in terms of for example opening up to more freelancers so this whole setup of working? I think it starts with very basic stuff. It starts with stuff like room layouts. We have to go beyond this opposition of um, enclosed office spaces and open plan layouts and create spaces that are also adaptive and that people can design and, and create for themselves and, and by themselves um, because work will be more fluid and there will be cross-team collaboration, there will be interdisciplinary teams, there's a need to, as you say, open up boundaries of the organization to include customers, users, other stakeholders, people who are impacted by what you're doing in your work processes. And I think this can't stop with collaborating with co-working spaces and in Bethaus Hamburg we did a lot of that. A lot of companies came there and 
try to get a feel for how a freelancing community works and discuss with people how they are working and how, how uh, that could be integrated in their process. But I think it has to go beyond that because the danger always is that it's like, oh, we're going to the zoo and look at these funny freelancers and how they are doing stuff. And then we go back to, um, to our company building and do stuff like we always did it. So there needs to be a change also in incentive systems and in the way processes are structured in order to make this kind of collaboration with stakeholders, with freelancers, with customers really meaningful and to give them real influence over outcomes, over the definition of products, over, um, yeah, basically give them an opportunity to have a word in what the companies are doing. Yeah, and I think uh, it's not, not only having a look what others are doing, but I think also often companies try to copy um, how yeah. other companies work and try to adapt it. I mean, I think a lot of companies are there just have a look what Google and Facebook and all of those are doing and try to copy it without understanding their own DNA and culture first and see what would even fit to them. Yes, yes. And um, if, if you define company culture as... Um, the sum of successful decisions in the past um, then again it goes back to have these decisions been successful in the past um, and does that mean they are successful in a changed environment so um, is what we are used to do still contributing to, to our success today or do we have to change things on a more fundamental level and just copying a company culture that's like, um, I don't know, trying to copy someone's facial expressions. You won't be able mm -hmm. to do that. It will always look funny and it will look wrong. Yeah. And if you want to change in a meaningful way, you have to look at the fundamentals. You have to look at your business model. You have to look at the way decisions are being made on a day-to-day -day basis. Company culture is the sum of day-to-day of -day decision-making processes and if you want to change that, you have to start there. Mm -hmm. And only then these these changes will be meaningful and uh, this, this focus on startup culture and we have to be more like Silicon Valley, um, that's, that's only imitation of yeah. something people don't truly understand. And yeah. from a distance, at best it looks funny and at worst it's... Um, it's a huge mess. Yeah, yeah. I always think um, that if you're a company that does their decisions top down, I think that's not necessarily a bad thing. No. But what I think is worse uh, is if companies um, put on their websites, we have flat hierarchies and so on, and then you come in and then they're not like that. You know, I think you should just like stick to your guns, be honest with yourself, and uh, be proud of what whatever your culture is, because you can still be successful without without trying to incorporate all those buzzwords into your into your daily work and into your how you would at least talk about your culture. Yeah, but um, at, at the same time, it's not, oh, let's frame it the other way around. It's totally natural that you talk about your company in one way and you do stuff in another way. It's like um, the, the, the front that you present it serves a different purpose or function than the processes that you use in order to produce this kind of image. 
And so it's not a problem in and by itself that there, there might be a difference between that, but you have to be aware that those are different like aspects of your company. And if you exchange them for each other and think only by writing a mission statement on your website and by proclaiming to be agile, you have changed anything behind the scenes, you haven't. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's uh, I think for me, it's rather the, the internal communication that you're trying to be something, communicate something internally. Yeah. But then you're not like you talk to talk, but you're not. Walk yeah. the talk. You have to follow it up with real concrete, measurable action. You have to change day to day decision making. You have to, as you said, you have to change the way you treat mistakes. You have to change the way um, you communicate through. Um, levels of hierarchy, for example, and if you don't do that, n there will no, there will be no meaningful change. Mm -hmm. We talked also a little bit about like opening up to freelancers. Now you're also working on your own at the moment. I personally am really interested in that as well because that's initially when we started the podcast, the interesting um, question of like being employed, working on your own. So where do you see the big advantages, but maybe also the the disadvantages of working on your own? Yes, the, the big advantage, of course, is the level of freedom and autonomy I have. And the way I can decide what I want to work on and with whom I want to work, it's a huge privilege. And uh, I wouldn't want it any other way. And I wouldn't be able to go back to, to work in a like classic company setup. Um, that doesn't provide me with the same level of freedom and autonomy. On the other hand, though, um, working for myself most of the time lacks a certain intensity in feedback and collaboration that I experience when I really collaborate with other people and when I worked inside my own company. So that's something I'm striving for in the next, I would say, six to 12 months to find ways of collaboration and maybe new constellations um, to collaborate with other people to incorporate that into my daily work um, again. So not doing workshops and facilitation and, and consulting by myself, but doing that in pairs, um, having fixed routines of feedback and of, of co-creating formats. And so this, this intensity of collaboration, is something I'm missing right now and I'm striving to, to get back to again. So you also said uh, you choose with whom you want to work or like the projects where you want to work. Does it also mean you need to decline often some projects or? Um, I don't have to decline projects very often because the way clients find me um, is, is already a first filter. So um, I get most of my jobs by recommendation and this alone makes sure that there is a high probability of the, the client and me being a good fit. And there are still some projects or, or setups which I feel wouldn't work for me and these I have to decline but the percentage of those is quite low. And that's also a, a great privilege to, to work in a network of, of clients and collaborators that make this level of, of quality 
um, even possible. And um, so you just moved to London. Was that also a reason because you have the feeling you have more clients here? Or do you work a lot remotely with Germany or how is your setup? At the moment, I work mostly with my German or Central European clients. And the move to London was primarily motivated by having been in Hamburg for 18 years mm -hmm. and knowing the city inside out and wanting to explore something new. And as I'm working fond by myself, I have the freedom, the autonomy to decide on these things. So it was a perfect moment to just do it. Mm -hmm. And right now I'm exploring possible collaborations with a lot of people um, or a growing number of people in London, but not primarily focused on, on client work, on specific projects, but in a really very explorative way to find out with whom can I work on which topics, who is a like-minded person and who is a completely different perspective that could be fruitful to like compare to my own. And so it's more like an, an intellectual exploration right now that will probably be quite fruitful also in, in, in work terms. Um, but I give myself the, the space and the time to just explore that. Cool. And uh, so you, do you work mostly remotely then with your German clients or do you also fly over? How does the remote work work for you? Um, part of my work is, is done remotely. All of the preparations, the um, creation of workshop concepts, um, the, the documentation of workshops afterwards. I do this basically from home. And the other part of my work is on site with teams either at their company, their organization, or in spaces like the Beta House or, or similar spaces. Um, I don't fly anymore. I go by train. Oh, really? Um, which is a fantastic way to travel, which has a dramatically lower carbon footprint, of course, and which gives me an additional like third space to work from. And working um, in and from trains is a fantastic way to do really focused work. I completely agree. I also have the feeling that the work on trains is really a creativity booster for me as well. Yes. I have ideas that I would never get in the office and I don't know why, so just yesterday we also took the train from the south of England to London and it was a really rainy day and uh, I was also working on something and constantly like new ideas coming up, seeing the nature passing by. Yes, exactly. And how long does the train take from Hamburg to London? Depending on, on the connection I get, it's about, um, on average I would say nine hours, mm -hmm. uh, which sounds like a long time, but if I went by plane, I would have to include way to the airport, waiting time at the airport, security checks, waiting for the plane and the same thing at the other end of the, the travel again. So I would say the, the travel time roughly doubled, but also my productivity, mm. I would say tripled. Yeah. So I can make much better use of this time. It's basically a working day, right? Exactly. Nine hours. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm also having uh, a lot of those conversations with my older brother because he usually sends me, whenever I fly somewhere, he would send me my carbon footprint. So mm -hmm. we have a lot of conversations on that. And um, just yesterday I also said, hey, look, England is a great place because now the train, I think, to Paris, it takes like one and a half hours from London. Yeah. We were in, in uh, Brussels and Antwerp for an extended weekend. And from here to Brussels, it's two hours, ten minutes. Mm -hmm. um, it's really amazing. Yeah.
I think that here you're a great role model. Um, how do your clients react to that if you tell them you're coming by train? Um, it creates really interesting discussions. Um, they have to accommodate for the travel times in, in their planning. Um, so I'm trying to be to, to do all the planning with um, more time or, or earlier on so I can can like um, arrange for for more workshops in a row so I have to travel less often um, and it sometimes creates a, a bit of a planning challenge but it usually works out fine the more interesting part is when they start asking me why do you do that and then um, we talk about the the second, the more fundamental disruption we've talked about earlier, and about the responsibilities that that companies and organizations have in the climate crisis we're facing. And so, for me, it's a way to talk about stuff that's important. I think that's uh, really interesting. The more I think about it, because first of all, I mean, you get into conversations about sustainability with clients that yes. you would never do. On the second time, it's also about new ways of working, and we now talk again about the future of work. Yes. If people, if we are all forced to fly less in the long run if you think of uh, the environment. But then on the other side, uh, you also need to have mm, the infrastructure to do so. Mm -hmm. Because if we talk now about the German drains and the Wi-Fi in German drains, uh, it's a catastrophe. Uh, because normally the Wi-Fi doesn't really work. and um, it's, it's become better, though. It's become better. I, I have to admit that um, I was really surprised um, about the quality in, um, of, of Wi-Fi on German trains, at least um, when going from Brussels to Hamburg, compared to the Wi-Fi on Eurostar trains when you go from London to Brussels. That's really shitty Wi-Fi. It's a freaking tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> and the funny thing is, in the tunnel, it's better than outside. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know how they managed to fuck that up, but um, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I think um, in the long run, I mean, you know, moving all to the cloud tools, which is mm -hmm. one of the new work components, mm -hmm. so collaboration in cloud tools using, I don't know, Google presentations mm -hmm. requires a stable Wi-Fi connection. Mm -hmm. But then if you travel more in trains, you need a, uh, a stable Wi-Fi connection. Yes. I think actually you traveling by train from London to Hamburg is a quite uh, interesting um project to analyze when we talk about new work. Now, you talked a lot about uh, how working for yourself uh, remotely works for you and how you organized yourself here in, in uh, your own work. So do you think there's a difference between work and a job? There is this um, book from a few years ago, Work is not a job. And I think, yeah, work is something different than a job. As I said before, work on the one hand is a resource and on the other hand is part of personal identity. And a job, I would say, is a temporary configuration of work as a resource and work as part of personal identity. And it's a very specific configuration in that it's paid work. And I think for most people, most of the time work only comes in the form of jobs but i think we have to rethink that in the future when you think about stuff like automation and ai on the one hand if you think about the need to go beyond consumerism and to be more mindful of the resources we use and the waste we create 
um, and the very real possibility that we have to degrow or shrink economies in order to basically survive as a species. Um, we really have to rethink if the fact that work only comes in the form of jobs is a sustainable concept. Yeah, I also think if we um, talk about giving back to society, I think from that moment on it starts that we need to do also sometimes things that do not require money, yes. so to say. Yes. And, uh, for example, why, why do we think that the work, um, for example, a manager is doing creates more value than the work a nurse is doing? Yeah. From a societal perspective, I think it's the other way around, pretty, yeah. pretty clearly. And um, so we need to think about how, as a society, we want to value which kind of work. And we need to think about stuff like universal basic incomes, and about like decoupling um, earning a living from doing this via paid work mm. um, so I think there's a lot of, of rethinking ahead for us I also believe that people would rather following their passions um, if it would not be coupled to money you know making money absolutely and if everyone follows their passion I think we could just probably would create a much better world because also the outcomes when people when people really follow their passions i think it has much better outcomes absolutely absolutely but that means that we have to think about this stuff not only as employees or employers but also as citizens mm. and we have to think about how to change and rethink the way our economy works and uh, the way we define work um, from a political perspective and we have to exert influence in the political arena to change things in a meaningful way. What exactly do you have in mind when you talk about um, rather the political environment? I, I think it starts with our voting patterns. One thing that really gave me hope uh, was the, uh, the, the huge traction that um, Rizzo and his, his fellow um, YouTube community got in the running up to the European elections, the Destroy the CDU um, video and um, the, the joint statement by, by these ATU uh, YouTube stars. I think it's important to see that by casting our vote, we define which future we want to see and we have to um, exert that power in, in, in every way possible and from there um, it goes on to becoming a member of a political party, of becoming a member of an NGO or an organization that is invested in, in stuff you care about. It goes on to going to the streets, protesting, it goes on to changing your individual behavior in order, in order to, um, to influence the behavior of companies. So there are a lot of, of points where you can behave um, politically. And I think the most important thing is that even if we don't do so consciously, just by buying or not voting or not protesting, we are acting in a political way, but probably not in the way we intend to. So we have to be more conscious about these choices and how to invest our time. And then I think there's real um, power in numbers and then things will change.
-hmm. In general, when we often discuss the topic of work and buzzwords like new work and so on come up, we often discuss it a little bit in our own bubble. When, mm -hmm. I, when I talk about our own bubble, I'm, I'm talking about like these kind of office jobs, new work environments, fancy offices we talked about, you know, copying from Google. What would all of that mean also for other industries if you think now about teachers, hospitals, nursing care and, and so on? Yes, um, as, as we said before, a lot of these jobs are immensely important for society. I cannot imagine a society without teachers, without hospitals, without nurses. I can imagine a society without middle management. Um, so I think there are jobs that, that are not going away, that are not endangered by automation and AI, but are still not valued enough. And I think that has to change. And then on the other hand, there are the more mechanical-like jobs, um, the stuff that goes on, for example, in Amazon's logistics centers, um, where Amazon has the clear and explicit aim to get rid of these jobs and uh, to just automate, uh, automate everything. And then we have to think about what happens to the people filling these jobs. Um, then there are industries like where, where steel workers or coal miners work, we have to get rid of these industries for the planet's sake. But what about the people working there? If you think about work as part of personal identity, it's part of the personal identity of a coal miner or a steel worker to do what he or she does. And I don't know the first thing about how that feels and, and um, how their personal identity is constructed. And so we have to, to talk to them and to listen to them and to collaborate with them on um, how they can create a meaningful life and meaningful work even when we get rid of these industries. And then we naturally come to ideas like universal basic income as a basic safety net or structure we can build upon. But this must not be an excuse for not having these kinds of conversations. Universal basic income can also be a very easy way out for a Silicon Valley type um, capitalist who says, hey, let's just give them a little bit of the money we're earning anyway. And so we can um, go on like aggregating wealth uh, in, on, in a very, very small circle. And then you're back at the whole, okay, it's a political issue, it's a societal issue, uh, we have to talk about this in, in a different arena thing. Um, what challenges do you think will then come up for society um, through the change in terms of work? There, there needs to be a discussion about how do we understand work and how does work relate to jobs and how does work relate to, um, to personal identity, to what we see as valuable as a society. I think there needs to be a move beyond consumerism as the like overarching and, and all-encompassing but basically invisible ideology um, behind how, how most of the economy works right now. And this also will create um, huge pressure on, on changing 
how we define work and how we define um, value in, in the society. And I think these two trajectories will influence our discussions not in a far future but in the next 10 to 15 years. Yeah. And either we find a way to create a, a future that we all find a place in or we will be in a very bad place um, for basically the rest of time. Yeah, I think also someone needs to help those people to figure out what their, what their strength and their talents are because often, um, as you said, they identify themselves with a job and mostly with a job title. I am mm -hmm. this and this kind of worker and uh, without maybe reflecting what kind of mm, requirements come along with that job title or with, with, with skills, for example, because most likely those skills can be uh, required in another job, you know, or could be brought in into maybe um, um, an activity which can be beneficial even for society. Yeah, without being a, a job in a, in a like classic sense. Exactly, yeah. And This goes all the way back to what we talked about um, at the beginning um, that I think part of my work is and I intend to do more in this area to help people to act more autonomously and to, to act with purpose um, and a prerequisite for that is exactly what you said to have an understanding of what am I good at and what's what is fulfilling to me and where are areas of work where I can do that or more of where I can do more of that and on the one hand that's about individual competencies and about um, strengthening people's insight into into their, their possibilities on the other hand it's about strengthening their autonomy and creating the room for them to decide these things And then it's the responsibility of, on the one hand, companies and on, on the other hand, political regulation to create that space. Mm -hmm. How do you think, do we need to rethink the work to become more human-centered again? Or how can we, let's say, put the individual in the center of work again? I think by, by focusing more on, on the second perspective, to, to, to focus more on work as part of personal identity to, to part of the meaning people create in their lives and for companies that would mean to treat concepts like new work not only as buzzwords um, but as what they were intended to be um, new work was intended to be a really revolutionary concept new work meant all of what we discussed Uh, when it was first coined in the 70s and 80s and we th I think we need to strengthen that ambition and we need to be honest to companies that um, they can't take this perspective away from the whole topic of new work um, and uh, We, are, we, we can't allow them to, to let it degrade into being only a buzzword Mm -hmm. What do you think will happen in the future? We talked a lot about the basic income, decoupling money and, mm -hmm. and work. So do you believe there will be rather a basic income for everyone and we will, as I said, not be bound of earning money in a job to survive? Or another concept could also be that in the long run it will be a survival of the fittest and everyone who is maybe not able 
um, to adapt to the changes just mm -hmm. won't survive. I think it's up to us to decide um, which it will be. I think in a lot of ways we're at a crossroads right now. When it comes to stuff like, like the climate crisis, scientists say we have about 11 years um, to change course, um, which means we have to act now on stuff like that. And um, the same thing goes for automation and AI and the question of universal basic income versus survival of the fittest. It's our decision as a society which way we want to go. And the one road would be a challenging but potentially prosperous future where a lot of stuff looks completely different than it does now. It would have to be a post-consumerist economy. It would have to be an, a society that values different kinds of work um, very differently from today. And this would be a society I think I want to live in and I want to be part of and I want to, to help defining. And on the other hand, we are facing a very bleak future with um, ecological collapse, with potential societal collapse, with even more concentration of wealth and even less opportunities for ever more people. And I think this is a society I don't want to live in. Yeah. And um, yeah, the time is now to, to decide which kind of future we want to bring into existence. What do you believe are the jobs of the future? And how can we prepare ourselves for that? I think in both of these scenarios, we don't really know yet. We, I think we know that under the, the current techno-economic paradigm, um, under the paradigm where, where aggregation business models are the, the rule and where companies have to adapt to working in a digital environment, we have a pretty good idea that jobs will, be, will have to be more focused on either creativity and exploration or efficiency and transparency. And companies have to be more serious about this kind of adaptation. I think by now that's pretty clear. And it's up to the companies whether they want to survive that kind of change and really um, change in a meaningful way in order to do so. On the other hand, when it comes to, to the, the even more fundamental disruptions about how uh, we as a society um, want to define work and want, to want our economy to work, um, I think we don't know yet. The only thing I, I think we know is that we have to reduce our ecological footprint, we have to um, reduce our reliance on, um, on consuming products and on producing ever more stuff. And in order to prepare ourselves for this kind of change, we have to start doing things like not flying anymore, but going by train. Last week I, uh, I made a pledge not to buy any new clothing or textiles for 52 weeks oh, wow. um, in order to see what this feels like. Reusing stuff, mending clothes instead of throwing them away. What, how long do you think it took for our current consumption of, of clothing and fashion to double to, to the amount we are consuming right now? 
how many years? Um, When was it half the the amount we are consuming today? I would say, I just can't say for me personally, of course the company voucher at Zalando of 40% uh, played a big role in that, I would say. But in general, I think already five years ago, six years ago, I consumed 50% less. Yeah, and this is, I, I wouldn't have expected that. It's four years ago we were consuming half of what we are consuming right now. So it doubled in only four years. Yeah. And if you like extrapolate that, you're, you're almost immediately in, in like a dystopian future. Yeah. And so I think what we have to do now is rethink all of that stuff and find ways of, of rethinking um, our role in, in companies, uh, our role as consumers, and in order to to create room for exploration for ourselves, this is a huge gain. If we need less, we have more time to explore. So if we reduce what we need in, in, in material terms, uh, in money, in, in clothes, in stuff, basically, we have more space to explore what we want to do and who we want to be. On the other side, I think, you know, we're both developing products uh, as part of our jobs. And I think um, doing that is also currently a really big challenge because on the one side, company success is, is usually driven by how much profit you make, how much mm-hmm. things you sell. Mm-hmm. And as a person building products for them, our jobs is to make it easier for the customers to buy even more. Yes. Right? On the other side, like it's your inner conscious telling you it's not okay. It's, I think this is a, a really big challenge both for companies, but also for the single employees to act in those environments. Absolutely. Um, to, Absolutely. To, to, to move things for the better. And that's yeah. why I think KPIs and companies need to change. Or at least, um, what do you do with your profit? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that on a company level, there needs to be more incorporation of stakeholder interests of interests of people impacted by by what they are doing what we are doing more awareness about what's happening in the supply chain what's happening after the use of the product i think companies won't change that just out of free will and and uh, like consideration Um, again we will need political regulation to change that so um I have to act as a citizen and not only not only as a professional in order to change things. As a freelancer, as a free radical, as I sometimes say, I have the opportunity to work less for companies that produce, that, that want people to buy more and that produce products. And I try to shift like the work I'm doing into areas where I think um, more meaning and less waste is being created. But if we work in and for organizations who do stuff like that, um, we have the opportunity to talk about that, to create conversations and to ask people what they think about what we are doing, what we're doing as a company, as an organization. And we talked about um, making work more human-centered again. This can start by treating our fellow employees, our managers, our colleagues as humans and um, by talking with them about stuff that matters to them as humans and maybe this will change the way they think about things there's this number that in order to create um, meaningful societal change 
you need 3.5% of really committed people in the population. That's not a lot. No, that's not a, a huge lot, percentage. Yeah. And if you take that and look at companies, if you can get 3.5% of people in companies to really see things differently and act for change, maybe you can change things there too. Yeah, but maybe it's even bringing the problem to even a higher level. How can you create profits by not exploiting the environment? Exactly, and this is the, the, the overarching challenge. Again, this is something that's not up to individual companies to change, I think. It's a societal issue, it's a political question. But who is actually consulting those political minds? Because the problem is now, I think usually the people who who build the great products and so on, I think these are not the people who consult the politicians. The yep. politicians usually work in a very old-fashioned setup, yes. which don't have these... Um, I don't know, these, these competencies even to, to think in like modern ways, how can you rethink existing structures and even building profits that are maybe sustainable? I, I think, think we, we are, be, yeah, you're absolutely right. But I think we are beginning to see like cracks in this, this old system. There are people like um, AOC in the US, um, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, very, very sophisticated and smart and funny and engaging young congresswoman from the Bronx, um, who's really good at um, using Twitter, for example, mm. and who's also really good at policies, and he's, who's really good in, in taking all of these challenges seriously and if we have more people going into politics with this mindset and with this experience in in using digital tools and in using new media there will be change then we have stuff like um, the the Rezo campaign in Germany where um, a completely different generation in terms of what media they are using what uh, their experience with with different tools and and perspectives and ways of discussing things are and they are moving into politics we have stuff like the the school strikes we have people like Greta Thunberg and I think the the change will be coming from these generations and from these people and if they on the one hand exert pressure on on politics and on the other hand, move into politics themselves, things will change. Things are already changing. All right. So now I have uh, one advice question for you. With all the external changes and challenges coming up for companies, there are again the employees within the companies, and I think they're also changing a lot. They're changing a lot, and obviously this, the old structures do not work for everyone, or actually not for a lot of people anymore. Mm -hmm. So a lot of more people are getting unhappier in their job situations. They can mm -hmm. feel something is not right. They do mm -hmm. not feel comfortable anymore. So what would your advice be for those people which are currently maybe struggling a little bit with their job situations or not happy? Yeah, my, my advice would be threefold. First, create a support network. Find people to talk about this stuff. Find people you can open up to and be honest about your situation and not gloss it over by like um, consuming more then if you have this network of people you can talk about this and who can support you in also in your emotional needs um, reduce the stuff you need think about do i need the larger apartment do i need the new laptop 
do I need new clothes every month or week? And once you reduce consumption, you create space for experimentation. And then you can say, maybe I can take some time off from work because I don't need that much money. I can, for example, um, take a sabbatical or maybe just quit the job and give myself time to explore what I want to do next because uh, the, the pressure to earn money is not as high anymore as it was before this, this behavior change. And then the third thing is look where you haven't looked before. Don't look only at companies who are working in the same sector or the same industry. Don't only look at companies. Look at places where people are doing completely different stuff. Um, restorative projects that try to, to um, restore um, parts of nature, ecosystems, reforestation projects, uh, transition town movement places where people are collaborating with a different purpose and see if there's something for you to do there. Um, look at work in, in NGOs and maybe in the end the, the job you will be doing next won't be what creates meaning in your life. Maybe it's just enough money to get by and you won't need as much money anymore if you've reduced um, your, your consumption and then meaning will come from elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So it's build a support network, reduce consumption, look elsewhere and find completely new alternatives. All right, thanks Wolfgang very much uh, for this great interview. I have one last question that I ask everyone in the podcast. And uh, this would be if you had one superpower to change anything in terms of work or work environments, what would it be and why? I think it would be to induce a kind of out-of-body experience for people in specific work situations by which I mean to help them step out of their role and look at it from outside and look at the bigger picture and really think about what am I doing what are these other people doing what are we doing as a company as an organization as a society so I think it would be to to help people step away from what they're doing and have a look at the big picture because when they go back into their body again, back into the role again, there will be new options, there will be new pathways, there will be new perspectives they bring with them and then things will change. Great. Thank you a lot for this interview. Thank you. And if you liked this episode, you would do me a big favor to share it within your network, within your social networks, maybe on LinkedIn, maybe on Facebook maybe on Twitter, share it directly with your friends. I would like to invite you that more people become aware of this podcast because I'm not using a lot of marketing channels these days and I just hope that people that enjoy the podcast will just share it with their own network. Thank you very much.